understanding third-party unstructured apps, a Slack, a Gmail, stuff like that, to address things like CCPA, where does somebody's name show up within Slack? So to be able to go hunt that down in a reasonably quick fashion. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, friends. David Wright here, and I'm your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And this afternoon, I am joined by Leon Ravenna. Leon, pleasure to have you. Great to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So, Leon, could you tell our listeners a little bit about your current role? Sure. I have two roles. I'm the CISO and the CIO at Car Global. And Car Global is a multinational company. In the auto space, we deal with vehicles that are coming off lease, use vehicles with dealers and things like that. Very cool. Just met with Rachel Locke. She works with this platform, Carousel Online. I know they have a release coming next week, so I'll be interested to get your feedback on that offline. But I digress. What's one piece of actionable advice you'll look to give our listeners today? You know, there's, as I think through it, the It's probably the key piece on my LinkedIn profile, which is execution matters. You know, there's a lot of folks who want to talk about stuff, but it's really the getting it done that adds value. And I know that sounds cliche, but there's too many people that don't focus on execution. I agree. I mean, I personally, that resonates with me because that's one of the things that we boast is our value proposition is we'll get in the weeds and help folks get it done. So I agree wholeheartedly. So Leon, let's start with a little bit about your personal backstory. So tell our listeners a little bit about how you started out, how you got interested in technology and how you arrived as the CIO and CISO of this multinational corporation. Sure. So it's interesting. When I was looking at colleges, I wanted to go to University of Minnesota and study uh, law enforcement. I actually wanted to get in secret service and ended up going to a, a small private school in Indiana called Taylor University and studied business and computer science and really enjoyed it and have been doing it ever since. My first real job out of college was working for a, a company that made trading floor systems for banks and stock brokerage companies. In Starting in late 86, going into 87, so right before the stock market crashed, not a good place to be after that. But 
I was talking to letting me an operator and I took the eight hour a day operator job and made it about an hour and a half job and then took over all their endpoints, Unix support, HPMPE support, network support. I was a pretty valuable operator at the time. And work from there, I've run large nationwide support organizations, help desk service, or run advanced technologies, built out data centers, had the, I guess you'd say the benefit of doing compliance things like PCI level one and doing NIST for Department of Ed. And I happen now to be one of the most certified privacy people in the world. So been doing infrastructure, security, privacy, compliance for the last better part of 35 years. I know it looks like probably five years, but it's actually 35 years. So, but. Yeah, I'll be interested in hearing more about your background in compliance because it's, it's just huge right now. Compliance yeah. and security are just two of the hottest topics that, that we hear folks talking about. Before we get into that and more about kind of your vision and your current role, what's one of the most important things that you've learned in your life and what was life like before learning it and after learning it? When I think back over my career, I always go back to one thing. I, had, uh, I was working for Roche in the U.S., and um, I'd left to go to a startup, was effectively unethical, and I was back at Roche doing consulting. And I was interviewing for a job with the CFO, and I walked in to his office for the interview, and he said, Leon, you know what your problem is? So I knew the interview was going to go well. And he said, you know, there are 65,000 people in this company. And you're probably one of the smartest people that I've met in this company. But when people don't catch up with you, you get visibly mad. And I took that as, for him, it was just off the cuff, but that was a big learning moment for me. Prior to that, I had gotten a lot of stuff done, but I left dead bodies along the way. It helped me to understand that, yeah, I've really got to focus on relationships and make sure that, that people understand what's happening and I tend to be very deadpan in my role as CIO and CISO. I deal with a lot of bad stuff. And if, if I get sideways, people get spooked. So this is basically the way people see me at work. At, at home, I smile a little bit more, but mostly it's just, it's always the same. And that's to make sure that I don't put people on edge. Wow. Yeah, that resonates for sure. Any other, because I learn certainly the most from those challenging moments or those very telling situations. Are there any other failure? And, and in IT, I mean, we've all had a lot of failures. Is there any yeah. other failure that stands out in your mind as something that you really learned a lot from? Having been working for 35 years, I've had a great opportunity to fail. I mean, that's why they call it experience. But I went out to a company in Pittsburgh and there was a whole series of things that hadn't been done for three or four years. People talked about them and they hadn't gotten done. And so I came in and said, I will we'll get these things done. And I executed on them, every single one of them. And the first really about nine months that I was there, but again, there was, it was focus on just the task, not necessarily how well was it done? How well was it received? Things like they said that they needed a new data center and are actually a DR data center. And so I talked our parent company into giving me seven racks of, of space and built it out. People said it couldn't be done and it was done. We put in phone systems that had taken four or five years to get done. And I remember distinctly two events there. The, 
the focus on just the task. I've been there about six months. The network manager came to me and said, the week before we launched, I said, oh, I forgot about the call center. And so we went from zero to flawless in a week. And, but it was a failure. I mean, the outcome was great. The failure was that we didn't take into account every single task that needed to be done. We were too aggressive about focusing on just getting rid of the old phones, putting in new Cisco phones and everything that came with it. But we didn't focus on the, what were those details that could have been a problem? And ultimately, out of 18 different, sorry, 14 locations that we put in for about 3,000 people, we had two, two DID lines, two analog lines that didn't port over properly. And, and so effectively a flawless implementation, the two lines that didn't move over were the CIO, my boss, and the CEO. Now, they had no idea that they had those lines, but it was a failure because we missed it. Now, we, it took us two hours to take care of it, but it's the making sure that you're not leaving dead bodies along the way. And that's a, a constant lesson that I've worked on over and over and over. Yeah, I love that. And I love what you said about perception, right? Your business partner's perception of the project, because as a, an IT and digital leader, I can roll out this SaaS platform and IT loves it. And some of our key stakeholders love it. But if the larger population isn't using it and they don't know what it does and, or whatever it might be, it's, it's largely probably not going to be seen as a success. Implementation went flawlessly, right? Yep. I've definitely been there. What about one of your favorite books or literary pieces, either now or, or over the course of your lifetime? Yeah, so the, the, the best book that I've read recently, and this is probably a little bit different from the other folks that I've heard on your podcast, but I really took to heart Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. And one, because it hire a lot of folks who are military and, and have an affinity for that. And I like comparing those stories to what's happening in business, but it was more the realization. I try and be very, very, very much a servant leader and that I have to be a servant leader, both to those who are working for me and that I work for. So it was pretty impactful just to make sure that I'm doing that. So I think about that on a regular basis. And then I read about a dozen news sources a day. Part of my job is to understand where risk is coming from. So I read things on global economics, global finances, politics, technology. I don't spend as much time as people might think as a, you know, being a CIO or CISO looking at security blogs and stuff like that. I'm watching for what's happening macroeconomically. For instance, the first email that I sent on COVID was January 20th of 20, and it actually hit later, but it was looking and seeing, here's what's coming. How do we prepare for that? Those are the things that in my role, I need to really focus on and not necessarily the reactive of, oh, we had a problem. We have to go fix it. It's how do we avoid those things that, that are coming at us from around the world? And I love that as an IT and security leader posture in general, because once you're breached, it's too, right. too late. I mean, obviously you, 
the remediation is key, but how do you stay ahead of that? It's interesting. I have a meeting with our CFO every week, and it's the five things that spook me the most. And it doesn't matter what it is. We've talked about wheat shortages coming out of Ukraine. We've talked about, in our space, gas prices are, can hurt our business. So understanding you know, what's happening there. And so we talk every week about just the, the five things that spook me. And it, it doesn't matter what it is. The weather is changing. It's usually deeper than that, but it's the good time to be able to, here's the things that worry me. Right. And I love that. So let's talk a little bit more about KAR Global. Sure. So what's your vision for the organization? So I have kind of a split role and kind of have to balance it. IT side, it's open the pipes wide. On the security side, it's shut the pipes tight. So what I'm trying to do is make us move faster in a secure way. So one small example, Google Chrome has you know, had about nine or 10 zero days this year. It's to be expected out of a browser. And we are down to the point where a year ago, we were reacting to that. Well, now we've moved to within 30 minutes of Google dropping an, a new version, we are already pushing it out. So we've automated the process to be able to protect us, but we're actually making, we're moving us faster. So on the IT side, I'm keeping us current. On the security side, I'm getting the latest, greatest patch piece about as fast as we can. So my job is to drive the organization to be security first and both security first and privacy first. And we are, CARS effectively a holding company with about 15 lines of business. And we've moved over the last five, six years ago, we would have bought organizations because they're auctions and they have land. And now we're buying things for intellectual property. So it's making us, turning us into more of a security first, thinking about why we're doing things before we do them. That's really the place where I, I want. I love that. I imagine you guys are doing a lot of due diligence on the front end pre-acquisition as well. We actually just sold our biggest business unit to Carvana, and that's our U.S. auction business. Effectively, a pretty good deal on both sides. It helps Carvana. I don't know how many cars they sold last year, but an auction site for us like Dallas is 180 acres, holds 14,000 cars and has all of the reconditioning facility. So it enables them to sell a, a ton more cars and it moves us more into, call it an asset light or digital space. Very cool. With that trend, what are some of the key initiatives you guys are focused on right now from an IT and digital perspective? So the first piece is divestiture, moving that out. It will be, I've done M&A work for 25 years five different companies, and this one's pretty complex. It's understanding what we look like as a company after we've moved those assets and a lot of people to Carvana in helping us be more efficient, um, doing more things on the automation side. I'm spending a lot of time looking at how do I combine things? So most organizations will have a separate NOC, they'll have a network operations center, they'll have a separate security operations center. I'm looking at ways to combine those. One sets eyes watching what I'm doing. It's more efficient, but it's also, I want them to have ownership and quite frankly, be learning at the same time. And the final thing is really about building the people that work for me. Even in this time with you know, great resignation and stuff like that, I'm sure 
as I say this, it'll hurt me, but I haven't lost anybody on the security side in about two years. And we've worked to do some things that are pretty interesting in the way we bring people in, the way that we grow them. And my the IT side of things is pretty tight-knit as a family. So trying to make sure that we keep them together, we keep people together focused on where we're going. It's just paramount for us. It's not necessarily on my side of the fence going to find people. It's making sure that we keep them and keep them engaged. Well, uh, two years of keeping all your security personnel is impressive. Really, really impressive. So I knocked on wood for you as you were yeah. talking. Yeah, it's interesting because we've done some interesting things. We, One person we brought in as an intern when she was getting her cybersecurity degree kept her on full time. So we didn't just do the summer intern thing and then brought her in full time. Then she got her master's in cyber and she runs Cloud Posture for me. We have a guy that grew up in one of our business units call centers and he moved to our group to do customer compliance work and had an affinity for security. He's running AppSec for me. So we're taking the opportunity to build people and we're building them. We're also using interns to help us out with stuff. And I've got three interns right now that all have just finished their cybersecurity degrees. One's getting a master's, one's getting a second degree. And so I'm able to keep them, but we're also building them. If there's not a spot here, we can send them out into one of the 15 CISOs that I know here in the area and say, look, here's a fully vetted person ready to go. It's a good bargain both ways. I love that. And I love that you guys are creating paths for upward mobility, because that is something that I stress with our clients oftentimes, because it's hard to go out and find these people nowadays. Sometimes you have access to them within your own ecosystem. If, like you're saying, you really just continue to invest in their education and see the, and really see the potential that's there, not just what's there right in front of you. So that's a great takeaway, especially because to bring new people, even to train them on the very most basic things surrounding your organization is a cost in and of itself. Right. And then the final thing that we do is I have on my cyber team, it's probably 60% ex-military. I've got two guys that are still in the reserves. One of them is actually deployed right now. I don't know which three-letter agency he's probably at, but those are all skills that you can't go by. And so they're good. The, the guy that runs that group for me has been in the military for 32 years. And the folks that are coming to me from the military are incredibly happy to do stuff, learn new stuff. So it's a, you know, it's, we're trying to do things that are good for us, that help us, but also provide benefit back to those employees. Yeah. And I love what you said about working in servant leadership. I didn't get a chance to comment on that later, but my mom taught me about servant leadership years ago. I'm a huge proponent. It sounds like you've created a really fantastic culture, which I have a lot of appreciation for. We're trying. Yeah, it's a journey, right? In that vein, what are some of the biggest challenges you guys are facing as a team right now? One of the things that we're tried to manage a flat budget for several years and so it's on the security side, I've just moved into the IT side. So I'll get into that here in, uh, in the next few months. But on the security side, we're pretty ruthless about if a tool's not working, we get rid of it, bring something else in. We don't leave tools hanging around. 
And, and one of the things we're seeing is even over the last month, I've seen things tick up on, on the security side. It's getting worse in general. So we're focused on that. We're focused on being able to deal with some of the things where we can't find resources for things. But in, in general, it's trying to maintain what we're doing and be as efficient as possible in how we do it. Yeah, similar situation. Lots of people are facing right now with needing to kind of look inward to any operational efficiencies that can be achieved. I know you mentioned automation before, which is huge right now. What about some of the best practices you and your team are following? So we're trying to automate everything that we can. When I was still doing technical work, I probably forgot more than most people know, but when I was doing more technical stuff, I would tell people I'm lazy. And what that actually meant was if I'm going to do something more than once, I'm going to script it because there's no reason to do the same thing over and over and over. So we're, we're focused on that. We are focused on trying to make the most effective use of the tools that we have and then work for things that try and help our development community be better at what they're doing. When you look at things like vulnerability scanners, they'll say, here's a thousand things that are wrong. And the first question the developer will ask is, well, what should I focus on? And what we're working on is a way to streamline that to say, here's the absolute thing that provides the most value. Go take care of that because that's the biggest risk item. Those are huge for us. Again, we're ruthless about tools. We're trying to deliver a lot of process that says, here's how things work. Because we'll inevitably have people say, well, it's not written down somewhere, so I don't have to do it. And so we're working on that, combining technology where we can. It's taking those things that we can work to pull together or that have kind of dual use where we can work on them. Right. In that vein, do your developers work on multiple different platforms in your ecosystem? Yeah. We run the some of the latest cutting-edge We've got some older stuff that is just tried and true and running. And so we have development groups that span those things. So we get to see a, a variety of uh, good things and bad things. Very cool. How about some of the most innovative technologies that you're excited about or that are serving to propel your, your business vision for the organization? We actually do a fair amount of work with VCs looking at startup companies. So cool. with three or four different VCs to look at new products, I was looking at two today. One, to be able to understand deep inventory and picking up everything. And then what the relationships are. We were a, an early adopter of uh, cloud security posture systems to understand what's in the cloud and really get deep on where the issues are and, and how to mitigate them and be notified if, if something happens. Most folks that are in the cloud today, if they, uh, you know, they may not know, they just set up a Microsoft server and RDP is open. We know it in about six hours. Now we need to know it faster, but we know it in about six hours and are alerted to it because the tools are running consistently. We're focused now on some things to be able to help us understand what our applications actually look like. And so it's not the individual's right doc set, but the applications looking at it saying, here's what the application actually does. And when the application goes live and there's something wrong and people are like, well, we don't know what's wrong. 
let's go back and look at what the tool says the application is actually doing, not what we think it's meant to be doing. You know, so we're looking at some of those things. One of the reasons we look at a lot of startups is one, to help me maintain some of that flat budget, they're usually more amenable to lower pricing. But right. more importantly, they're more amenable to, hey, you need to make these things work in this way, in this way, in this way. So they're better for us. And we provide feedback to a lot of them to say, do this for us. And here's how it's going to help you with your sales down the road. So we're looking at that. We're also working with tools to understand what our data posture is. Understanding, you know, when you start to look at some of the privacy space, understanding third-party unstructured apps, a Slack, a Gmail, stuff like that, to be able to understand, to address things like CCPA, where does somebody's name show up within Slack? So to be able to go hunt that down in a reasonably quick fashion, understanding how to go build that stuff so we understand just where to look and understanding what our data positioning is. Very cool stuff. I love you're that involved in researching those types of VC-based companies. I mean, we're, we're very active in going to the AI summit and all these different industry-leading events, researching up-and-coming fintechs and health techs and industrial tech companies. I like it too, because typically these types of companies are trying to solve complex business challenges. And right. they're at different degrees of maturity in doing so, but it really helps as a consultant get my wheels turning as to you know how the most innovative minds are thinking about working through these things and helps us advise our clients better as to how they might navigate it. I actually do a little bit of mentoring of startups in the privacy space, and they have an idea they don't necessarily know how to manifest that idea. So they need someone to guide them. And I don't know if I'm all that smart about it, but it's here's what I need. And on the notion that if, if I need it, other people are going to need it too. And so it's helpful for them to get the feedback, to just kind of nudge them where, where they need to be going. And it's also gives me personal satisfaction because I, I really like the mentoring aspect of things, being able to help people be successful. Me too. That's great that you do that. People over the course of my career lifted me up. I find that it's my responsibility to help others do the same. 100%. Any thoughts on where you see the global automotive industry going? Or I know you guys play in a certain a niche of it. Or any biggest changes you think will happen as time passes? Um, I'm probably the wrong person on the global automotive side. Because even though we do a lot with cars, I don't deal with you know, a lot of customers directly on that. But I think on the security industry, privacy industry, it's only going to get more rough. I guess the one thing I would say, though, is the more things change, the more they stay the same. You know, so it's applying those basic principles that people have done over and over and over for years that are tried and true. The, the names change, the technology change, but the principles stay the same. But I expect to see a lot more consolidation in systems. I expect to see a lot more like Cisco SecureX or Microsoft being able to do everything for you and moving back to the days where, hey, if you buy IBM, you can't get fired, right? And so I see some of that. I see people starting to focus on the tool sets they have 
And quite frankly, how do you make the tools that you have, but probably haven't implemented really work? There's probably a, a decent size set of uh, professional services to be had on just helping people get stuff done that they put on the shelf. Right. Even in the Office 365 suite, it's all. Yeah. There, there's a lot of them. And quite frankly, the people that, that are looking out and not anticipating a big push on compliance, on regulatory needs, they're going to end up being reactive. There's things coming that we're watching now. The privacy is starting to flow through the house. And there's some things that may end up coming out as a federal privacy law. There's stuff coming from the FTC. The FTC is looking at having cybersecurity on boards. And so there's a lot more coming. And with those things, there's going to be a lot more regulation that goes with it. A lot of what people are doing in the, the cyber and privacy space today are only going to get more complicated. And quite frankly, I've testified in trial once about 22 years ago, and I hope never to do it. But I know that before I retire, I will do it one more time. Just it's a fact of life. Or we deal with auditors every day and auditors and lawyers, and it's the next logical step. Yeah. In one of the research group reports I read for priorities for 2022 and 2023, also reporting and compliance requirements surrounding ESGs and SDGs and enterprise organizations, you know, being able to report on what they're doing to adhere to government mandates that they invest in that sector. And a lot of businesses are wondering, how do we even do that? You know, how do we even measure that? Yeah, the ESG pieces are, are coming and calculating your carbon footprint. It'll eventually be science, but now it's art. And so there's a lot of things coming and you can't get away from it. Quick, we're at, I'm actually, myself and a few partners are actually working on a platform right now that will measure that currently in the works. So I'll keep you posted on that because I'd love to get your feedback. Sure. It's a startup, so in your wheelhouse. So to close out here, if you could go back five or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? I would probably do two things. I tend to try and handle everything, but it's pick three to five things a day to focus on, go get those done. And then that's going to take you the day. Instead of dealing with a hundred, deal with the three to five that are the most priority. And then quite frankly, to diverge from work, it's quite frankly, don't sacrifice the family. When I look back, I am remarkably blessed to marry to the same woman for 36 years. I have three wonderful kids, then I have three grandkids along the way. They're all well-adjusted. But when I look back, I can count on two hands the number of events that I missed, you know, sports or great tell sixth grade band concerts. But I can also look back and say I wasn't present at a lot of them. I was physically there, but I wasn't there mentally and emotionally. And when you look back, the kids all turned out right. That's great. But when, when I look at it from a what's really important, that's what's important. So when I look back, I see that as kind of a failure of my own. So, I mean, that's huge for me too. At least getting to that. A lot of people don't ever arrive at that perspective. And so I, but I'm, I'm a wholehearted believer in that at one point in my career, just that striving for success and 
and convincing myself it was for my family. It was this chivalrous act, you know what I mean? But I had to take a step back. And like you said, being present in that moment, it's so huge. Because if I'm looking into the future or I'm reliving something, there's no shot at me being present and just experiencing and being grateful for that moment in and of itself. So we actually go to my five-year-old granddaughter has a soccer game tomorrow. So we'll be there and we'll be there in present. And, you know, is a five-year-old soccer game where they all play a little amoeba ball really the most fun? Not really, but you know what? It's being with the family. And, and that's the thing I've learned over time. I've always been a big proponent of family, but it's more understanding that you, you have to be there hundred percent, not just show up. That's why we have a, a strict policy when employees on vacation, like I'm actually taking my family to the beach starting tomorrow for a week or so, and I won't be checking my email. If somebody really needs me, they can text me and a client, I'll respond to them. But my primary purpose is to be there for my family. Because otherwise, that's why we do this, right? Is to have a beautiful life with our family. That brings up a thought. When the company I was at in Pittsburgh, it was working for an old boss of mine. And I was going on the first cruise I'd ever been on with my wife. And we were going with a bunch of friends and he, he called me down to his office five minutes before I was going to leave for the day. He's like, hey, we got to go over some stuff. Bring your laptop, bring your phone. We, we got to go over this stuff. And when I walked in the door, he opened his bottom credenza drawer and said, every bit of technology that you have goes in this drawer. When you get back, you can have it. But you can't have a phone because I know what you will do. And I will not let you do that for the week that you're on the cruise. He said, we'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Just go enjoy your family. And the funniest thing is, you know, this was 2012 and, you know, had my phone, had a red light whenever there was an email. And I looked at my passenger seat 50 times on the way home that day, looking to see, do I have any emails? And I, oh, I can't check it. That was probably one of the best gifts that I've been given over time. That's a great story. I think a great place to close for today. Leon, it was such a pleasure to have you on. Well, I really appreciate it, David. Yeah, thank you for taking the time and for everyone listening. Thanks for tuning in to Disruptive Innovators. We will catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.